Okay, so we are in uh, the Gospel of John. We've made it to chapter three. Uh, so if you're visiting with us today, uh, as a church, we're going through the Gospel of John together, and uh, we've made it to chapter three, and we're gonna make it through the first 15 verses of chapter three today. And uh, what's gonna happen is, is really interesting because up until this point, it has all been about Jesus uh, making his, his public ministry debut, right? His first miracle and sign uh, with changing water into wine at a wedding, right? And he's, he's becoming known publicly. And now what's gonna happen is, is for 15 verses, he's gonna step into a private conversation, a one-on-one -on -one conversation with somebody who has some questions about the kingdom of God. And so this is where we're gonna start in chapter three, verse one. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. So just real quick, who we have here, we have this guy named Nicodemus. Uh, he not only was he a faithful Jewish worshiper, he was numbered among the Pharisees, which were the religious leaders, but not only that, he was also a ruler, which means he was a member of the Sanhedrin which was a select group of 70 of the experts in the Jewish law uh, who were chosen then to be rulers. So this group, the 70, were called the Sanhedrin. Uh, these, these guys got together. They made a lot of uh, decision over, decisions over the religious community, but they were also tasked by the Roman government to intervene in civil law as well. These were the group who had Jesus arrested and tried him and brought him before Pontius Pilate to have him convicted and sentenced to death, the Sanhedrin. Okay, so this Nicodemus, not only a faithful Jew, not only a Pharisee among Pharisees, but he was a member of this Sanhedrin. Now, all throughout the Gospel of John, you're gonna hear about this group that opposes Jesus, and almost always, it's this crew. Oftentimes, John will just call them the Jews. And he's referring to this crew that opposed Jesus. Now, Nicodemus is coming to Jesus at night. We don't know fully why. There's a good chance um, that he did this so that nobody would know, okay? But we don't know for sure. But we do know is that he wanted a private audience with Jesus to ask him some questions. And so in his first interactions with Jesus, he says some really interesting words. He says, we know. Now think about that. Now he's not just speaking on behalf of himself. He's actually speaking on behalf of the whole Sanhedrin here. So essentially what we can learn from that is that Jesus's ministry, his public ministry is becoming so well known that the buzz has made it to the Sanhedrin and they're beginning to talk, who is this Jesus guy? Amen. And so his question or his statement is, Rabbi, we know you are a teacher come from God. You're from God. No mistake about it. Here's why we know this, for no one can do these signs unless God is with him. So this, the signs that Jesus has, has been displaying for people, the Sanhedrin has caught wind of this, and they said, listen, this guy's got to be from God. We don't know if they sent Nicodemus or if he went on his own accord, but now Nicodemus is here to figure this out. Who are you? Verse three, 
And Jesus is gonna now answer him with the first of three truly, truly statements. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? All right, a couple of things here. Uh, first of all, this is gonna bring up um, a topic within the church that the church has not always agreed upon. Um, and this idea of being born again, for example. Um, I don't know when it happened, but somewhere uh, in the 20th century, this idea of being born again was pulled out of biblical context into the church and used to describe something that I don't think Jesus meant for it to, to describe. And you may have heard it used this way, to describe a Christian who had such a radical change from one lifestyle to another that the only way it could be described is that they were born again. And so they were referred to as born-again Christians. Have you ever heard that phrase? Now, this guy, he's a born-again Christian, as though there is another class of Christian that's different from the rest of us. Right? And so that phrase, born again, is used to describe this supernatural, radical, life-changing things that Jesus does in some. But that's not at all where Jesus is going today. Right, because Jesus from the beginning says, wait, 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 wait. You can't even get into heaven unless you've been born again. So for the rest of us, though, that maybe haven't had that radical experience where, you know, Jesus came and pulled me out of gang life where I was, you know, cooking drugs and, and just murdering people and now I've been radically changed as now I'm a preacher of God, right, then, then I've got no hope to get into the kingdom of heaven. I haven't been born again. Jesus would say, no, 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 listen. The same radical heart change that it takes to take somebody who is on that path in life, you know, just like radical, criminal, evil, mischief, rebellious, the same heart change that it takes to pull that person out of that and send them forward into righteousness is the same amount of heart change it takes to save you. Like, we don't always think that way. Like when the six-year-old becomes a Christian and we go, oh, isn't that cute? So glad she got saved before she experienced, you know, real evil and like just a really bad life. And, and, and no, the same amount of supernatural heart change that it takes to save the hardened criminal, it takes to save the six-year-old little girl. Jesus says, no, listen, no, 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 no. It's not, it's not a description of these super elite Christians. You can't even get into heaven unless you have been born again. Now think about it. He's talking to a religious leader here. He's talking to somebody who has, is known for their moral excellency, who's known for their devotion and worship of God. And he says to this man, hey, <laughs> brother, unless you were born again, unless you've had a radical change of heart, you can't enter into heaven. And now from here, the conversation's gonna continue. And so he's gonna ask questions and Jesus is gonna begin to answer those questions about what it means then to be born again. Verse five, 
Now remember, we left off. Nicodemus asked the question, what are you talking about? Are you telling me I gotta go back into my mother's womb and be born again? Verse five, Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, Unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Now this brings up another difference of opinion that we hear within the church. What in the world is Jesus talking about? Born of water and born of the Spirit. Now, there have been people way smarter than me spend a lot more time trying to figure this out. And what tends to happen when you analyze what Jesus just said over and over and over again is you end up with kind of three camps of thought on what he meant. Because I wanna know, don't you? If I can't get into heaven unless I'm born again, then holy cow, I need to know what you meant, Jesus. So it matters. So there'd be some who would say, well, so he's talking about being born of water and then being born of the spirit. Then what he must be talking about is the first one is being born, like being born from your mom, right? Water breaks, you're born. And then sometime later after that, you're born again of the spirit. Now, the problem with that is that in the first century, they didn't view birth the same way we do, right? They didn't associate it with water breaking or being born from water. That's kind of a modern day concept on the idea of birth. So that's not exactly what Jesus was talking about here because that concept wasn't even around at this point in time, okay? And so then there's another thought, well, then maybe what Jesus is talking about is he's referring to baptism, Right? That's water. Water's involved in baptism. So maybe he's talking about being baptized and then being born of the Spirit. Well, if that's the case, then we take a step back and go, well, that's not completely consistent with the rest of the New Testament. So is Jesus saying to get into heaven, you have to be baptized and born of the Spirit? Because that's not the same as the message that Paul's preaching. Paul would say, listen, your baptism doesn't get you into heaven. It's just an outward proclamation of the inward salvation in your heart, the transformation that God has done to get you into heaven. That's just the public announcement. It doesn't get you into heaven. And then there's a third camp that would say, you know what? You know what I bet's going on here? Jesus is talking to essentially a professor of Old Testament law. He's speaking to somebody who knew the Old Testament as much or more than you know your job. Like it was his job to know the Old Testament verse by verse, chapter by chapter, every bit of it. An expert in the Old Testament. One, one word of caution to you. And maybe this will help you in your own Bible study and Bible reading. Well, let me give you two. One is this. Oftentimes when we find ourselves trying to understand the Bible and we get into this mode of, well, it's either this or it's that, sometimes it's not this or that, sometimes it's both and. And one of the dangers we can make is trying to force something one way or another, okay? The, the second thing is, already in the Gospel of John, every human being that Jesus has encountered, except for John the Baptist, right, was, was thinking on a different level. Like, for example, his first disciples. 
They're interacting. He's revealing himself as the Messiah. John's like, there he goes. There's the Lamb of God. And so they're like, hey, we want to follow you. And he's like, that's awesome. But let's think about why you want to follow me. And they're like, hey, like, where are you living? Where are you staying at tonight? And they start asking him about his street address. And Jesus is like, well, <laughs> okay, listen, you guys couldn't even begin to grasp it if I told you where I live. <laughs> right? 777 heaven. Streets are gold in there. Right? But here's what I'll do. I'll meet you where you're at, and I'll show you where I'm staying tonight so that through this journey together, you'll ultimately discover where I live, right? And so interaction after interaction, we saw this even with his mother Mary at the wedding. She's like, Jesus, we're out of wine. The party's gonna bust. And he's like, lady, that's not why I'm here. I'm not here to keep parties alive, but I am here to reveal myself as the Messiah. So here's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna answer your request, but I'm gonna answer it my way so that you learn something about me. And so he turns water into wine out of these cleansing jars. And so interaction after interaction, each human being is encountering Jesus from an earthly ground level perspective, trying to understand things that are above them, right? And so in the same way, you got disciples saying, hey, where do you live? And Jesus like, well, I'll tell you where I'm staying tonight, but I actually live in heaven. He's talking about both. And so I want you to keep that in mind as we press into this text. Now, there's some fantastic evidence in what Jesus said that, that he is referring to something from the Old Testament. I'm gonna take you there, okay? So Ezekiel chapter 36, this is so powerful. In the Old Testament, I want you to think about what Jesus said to Nicodemus. You gotta be born of water and born of the spirit if you wanna enter the kingdom of heaven. And then listen to what God speaks through the prophet Ezekiel in chapter 36, starting verse 25. This is speaking of a day in the future. God says, I will sprinkle clean water on you. There's water. And you will be clean from all your uncleannessness. And from all your idols, I will clean you. Okay, stop for a minute. You notice how many times we've already seen the word I? Is God telling us what he's gonna do, right? Okay, keep watching. Verse 26, and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit. There's spirit, right? I will put within you and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh, meaning one that's alive. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. This was a prophecy about a day in the future where God would literally cleanse us from our sins and remove from us the heart of stone and replace it with a heart that's alive. Amen. Right, the same idea of being what? Born again, born to new life, born to real life, born to abundant life. And here's the thing, Nicodemus was way more familiar with those Bible verses than we are. I mean, for he had taught these verses. I can almost guarantee you he had taught these verses to a group of students at one point or another. Hey, guys, listen, there's good news in the Old Testament. There's a day coming where God will change our hearts. He will actually cleanse us with water and cleanse us with his spirit and remove that heart of stone and put within us a heart that's alive. And here Jesus is referring to that very thing in Nicodemus See, he still isn't getting it.
Now, look at verse six a little closer with me though. Not only is Jesus more than likely referring to the Old Testament, it seems that he's also meeting Nicodemus where he's at. Remember his question? How am I gonna get back in my mom's womb? So it is evident that Nicodemus is thinking about natural birth here, right? While Jesus is talking about spiritual birth. So look at verse six. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. Jesus is referring to your fleshly birth. But then he says, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. So there are two births, Nicodemus, you're right. There is the birth where flesh gives way to flesh. It's what your mom did. It's not what I'm talking about. There's another kind of birth I'm talking about. There's a, there's a birth that brings life to you. It's like, it's like the Old Testament verses that talk about getting a new heart. And this is the birth of the spirit, Nicodemus. And so one possible conclusion from this is not that it's either or, it's both and. Jesus is meeting Nicodemus where he's at. Nicodemus is like trying to get his mind wrapped around. Okay, I've got to be born again. I was born once. How do I do that again? Jesus is like, no, no, no. I'm talking about the second birth, spiritual birth. But this second birth will be one of water and spirit. So then we begin to say, okay, what does it mean then to be born again? So in the context of John 3, from Jesus' perspective here, I think he's referring clearly to a spiritual rebirth where Jesus opens the eyes of the, sin, the sinner to behold him as the son of God, and then he generates a faith that transforms that person from sinner to saint, from dead to alive. That's what Jesus is referring to. Radical heart change. And it's just as radical for the 40-year-old in prison as it is for the six-year-old in Bible school. Radical heart transformation and change. Verse nine, <laughs> Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? That's essentially him saying, I don't get it. You lost me somewhere. I'm still not tracking with you. And Jesus answered, verse 10, are you a teacher of Israel and yet you do not understand these things? See, that question alone Right, let's us know, hey, I thought by the way I explained this to you as a teacher of the law, you would have grasped it. I mean, I refer to some Old Testament stuff that you are very familiar with. You're a teacher of the Bible verses I just referred to, and yet you still don't understand it. Verse 11, truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen. I think Jesus is speaking kind of generally as humanity. We like to talk about things that we know about, right? And we refer to things that we've seen with our own eyes. We bear witness to those things. But Nicodemus, here's the conclusion. You do not receive our testimony. And that's really important, okay? Because understand what John said in chapter one about this coming Messiah, starting in verse 12. Like, let's, let's look back together. Look at what John has already said in chapter one. Starting in verse 12, he says, listen, but to all who did receive him, meaning not everybody's gonna receive Jesus, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Okay, so this idea of receiving Jesus leads to what? Becoming a child of God, who were 
born. Does that sound familiar? This is in chapter one. We just skipped right over it, didn't we? Who were born, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of what? Born of God. See, John had already introduced us into this idea of being born again in chapter one. So who is it who is born again in chapter one? Those who have received Jesus, right? Believed in him, taken hold of him. And so now when we get to chapter three, Jesus simply says what? You haven't received Nicodemus. That's the problem right now. You have not received our testimony. Verse 12, if I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? You see where he's at? He's meeting Nicodemus where he's at. Nicodemus, we can't go on from here. It's not more Bible verses that you need. We've already displayed that you've got plenty of those and don't know what to do with them. Okay? It's not more lofty knowledge that you need, Nicodemus. You need something else. You need the eyes of your heart to be open. You need to be able to see what's already plainly in front of you. And so Jesus is gonna make this super plain to Nicodemus and he's gonna make it super plain to us today. Now verse 13 is a verse of transition. Verse 13 says this, no one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven the son of man. So remember what we were talking about. You can't get into heaven. You can't get into the kingdom of God unless you've been born again. Nicodemus is saying, I don't get it. I don't understand it. And Jesus said, listen, I can't go on to heavenly things because you're not getting the earthly things. And here's why. You haven't been to heaven and back. Only the son of man has come from heaven. So only the son of man can open your eyes to see heavenly things, Nicodemus. All your learning, all those years of adolescence and High school and college, if you will, going to seminary. Great knowledge of great things, but it didn't open your eyes to see. So now I'm gonna make it plain for you, Nicodemus. Verse 14. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Now, before we unpack that, what I believe Jesus is saying is everything you need to know is right here in what I'm about to say. I'm about to unpack all this for you, not just unpack it, I'm gonna unveil it for you, right? So you can see what is clearly in front of you, Nicodemus. Remember that story from Numbers 21 in the wilderness where those fiery serpents were, were, were biting the Israelites? And that serpent was lifted up on the stick. You remember that? Okay, now we're tracking. Now you're about to understand how to be born again. Now, we're gonna do, we're gonna read this together in Numbers 21. So there's, there's these situations in the Old Testament and it almost seems like you're reading the same story over and over again, except you're not. It's just that you're reading about a cycle of repetitive sin. Okay, so what happens with the nation of Israel? They're rescued out of slavery right? Big deal. Grateful people. Love you, Jesus. Love you. We're going to give our lives to you. Oh no, we're hungry. And all of a sudden they start to get a little bit anxious and rebellious. They're like, you know what? Let's just go back to slavery. That was better than being hungry. And God's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Here's some food. Okay. I'm better now. 
you know what? I'm starting to get thirsty. Where are we going to get water? I don't know. Maybe we should go back to slavery. God's like, whoa, look, see that rock? Watch this. Just watch. I'm not going to lead you to a stream because you can do that yourself. I'm going to do something you can't do. I'll make water come out of this rock. Oh, this water is so good. Okay, we're better now. And then they move on. It's just one story after another of, of, of complacency, of ungratefulness, and then ultimately leads to what? This rebellious, wicked heart saying, God, we want to go back to slavery. And so this is the case now. The nation of Israel, they have been led miraculously. They have seen like Red Sea kind of miracles happen. They've been fed and watered miraculously. And now here they are starting to get hungry again. And they're going to immediately go back to God doesn't love us anymore. Oh, God's so mean to us. Look at this, Numbers 21, starting verse 4. From Mount Hor, they set out by the way uh, to the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom. And the people became impatient on the way. I know you're leading us out of slavery, God, but it's not happening fast enough. Can we get there, please? This kind of reminds me of a family road trip. How about you? (laughs) Parents, are we? Oh, see? So they're getting impatient with, look at this, not with mom and dad with God. And the people spoke against God and against Moses. Why have you brought us out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no food and no water, and we loathe this worthless food. I'm a little confused. Are you out of food or not? (laughs) This reminds me of when my boys come to me, Dad, we're starving. Oh my gosh. Hallie, call 911. <laughs> no, Dad, you know what I mean. I was really hungry. Okay, we'll get something to eat. There's nothing to eat. There's nothing to eat. Didn't we just do Walmart pickup yesterday? Yes, we did. Okay, come here with me, boys. Come here. Let's open the pantry. Let's walk in. Oh, look, all the food. No, Dad, we don't want any of that. Well, let's go to the cold box over here on this wall that we open. has cold food in it. Let's open that up. Oh, we don't want any of that either. Okay, so the problem isn't that you don't have food. The problem is you don't want the food you have. That's what's going on here. Oh, we got no food and no water. God, are you trying to kill us? And then the food we do have, we don't like it. That's... You can't make this stuff up, people. It's in the Bible. <laughs> so you can imagine now, right? How does that make you feel as a parent? Like we've done everything required to provide what you need, and now you're saying it's not good enough. And God replies with judgment. Verse six, then the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people so that the people of Israel died. God did that. In his judgment against an ungrateful people, snakes. And when they bite you, it feels like fire. And if that's not bad enough, in the end, you die. Now, we also see something else in this story that tells us a lot about who God is because in the midst of this judgment, the people begin to cry out. Look at what they say. Verse seven, and the people came to Moses and said, We've sinned, for we have spoken against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord that he will take away the serpents from us. 
So Moses prayed for the people. Now think about that. This is a beautiful picture of what repentance looks like, people. If you have bought into the concept that repentance is a one-time event, you've missed some things, okay? This is not the first time these people have done this, right? So they're feeling God's judgment against their ungratefulness, their rebellious hearts, and they cry out to God and say, listen, we've messed up, we've sinned. God, forgive us for that. God would still be just if he said, you know what? How about some more snakes? But he doesn't. Look at what happens. And the Lord said to Moses, verse eight, make a fiery serpent and set it on a pole and everyone who is bitten when he sees it shall live. So Moses made a bronze serpent and set it on a pole. And if a serpent bit anyone, he would look at the bronze serpent and live. This is what Jesus is referring to with Nicodemus now when he says in verse 14, as Moses is lifted up, uh, lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the son of man be lifted up. Nicodemus knew exactly what story he was talking about. Now what's interesting is Jesus could have chosen a lot of stories to refer to, couldn't he have? He could have said to Nicodemus, hey Nicodemus, hey you remember how the ram was caught in the thicket to take Isaac's place on the altar? So must the son of man be caught up in the evil schemes of man to be placed on an altar in your place. Hey, Nicodemus, just like that fresh water flowed miraculously out of the rock as an expression of God's provision, so has the Son of Man come to be the living well of life for you. He could have referred to any of these, but he refers to the story with the serpent, and I think Jesus did it on purpose. I don't think that, I know he did. Now think about that. Why the serpent story? Doesn't that remind you of the garden? I mean, isn't the serpent like kind of yucky and like, that reminds me of evil. Why would you refer to yourself that, Jesus, that way, Jesus? Hey, remember the serpent? I want you to think of me as a serpent. What we saw in Numbers 21 was that God took the very thing that was the curse, put it on a pole to symbolize the curse, and through looking at that curse, it brought what? Healing. Think about it. Here's what God's answer was. All right, Moses. So these serpents that I sent to bring judgment. I want you to make a bronze figurine of one of those serpents. And I want you to put it up on a pole so people can see it. Now we would think that if you did something like that, the goal would be to strike fear in the people, right? That'll remind you of what I'm gonna do to you. Not so, is it? That's not what God did. He says, what I want you to do? I want you to look at, if you've been bit, look at the serpent up on the pole and by looking on it, you will be healed. Okay, okay, okay. So if we get bit, we're gonna look at the serpent and then what are we gonna do? No, 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 that's it. We just look at it. Okay, okay, but then what do we pray after we look at it? We look at it, we pray, we put some essential oils on there. What do we do? And Moses is like, no, 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 that's not what God said. Like, listen, you look at it and that's it. Just look at it, yeah, look at it. Well then, that's it? Yeah, look at it. See, I think Jesus is showing not only Nicodemus something powerful, he's showing us as well. Amen. Have you ever thought about 
just the irony that we decorate our bodies and our homes with a cross. You may have even heard this before. It would be a modern day equivalent of decorating your home with electric chairs. Oh, that sounds kind of weird, right? Yeah, this is my wall of electric chairs. Um, I got this real cute one here from Pinterest and this rustic electric chair over here, my grandpa made, and then I've got this. Sounds kind of weird, right? Well, you, what is that hanging around your neck on a gold chain? Like you paid money for that. What is that? Oh, that's an electric chair. Why? Because the electric chair, that's a symbol of the curse, right? That's the symbol of mistake. That's the symbol of past the point of return. If you're going to the electric chair in our culture, we've deemed you unredeemable. There's no hope for you. And so the last thing is the electric chair. Listen, that is the symbol of the cross. Culturally speaking, it meant, you know what? There is no redeemable hope for you. The cross was a symbol of the curse. When you looked at it, you saw sin and death. You saw evil and rebellion, darkness. And you see what Jesus is saying? Hey, just like that serpent, that symbol of the curse was lifted up and through it, the people found healing by simply looking at it. So must the son of man be raised up on a curse. Galatians chapter three says that Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who hanged on a tree. In the same way, God took this serpent, this symbol of rebellion and evil, and he turned it into a symbol of healing. God has taken the cross. And through Jesus going to the cross to die for our sins, this symbol of curse, of of unredeemable souls, this symbol has now become what? Our symbol of redemption, our symbol of hope, our symbol of life. And listen, don't miss this point. How do you get it? You look at Jesus and you believe. Okay, what else? No, that's it. Well, okay, well, what, what prayers do I have to pray and what Bible verses do I have to read and what does my church attendance need to look like and how much money do I need to give and, and how nice do I have to be to people? <laughs> Peter asked that question, doesn't he? All right, Jesus, this is a whole forgiveness deal. How many times do I gotta do that? How nice do I have to be to people? And God's saying, no, 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 no. You wanna know the answer to the question, how to be born again? Simply look at Jesus and behold him as the son of God and believe. Listen, church, stop there. Stop there. Don't add more to it. In the same way the serpent was lifted up in the desert, so must the son of man be lifted up. And look at what he says. Whoever believes in him will have what? Eternal life, heart transformation. Radical heart transformation, born again. Think about that for the, the Israelite out in the desert who just got bit by this snake. and Like, I'm about to die. I'm on my deathbed. And they look up at this, this symbol and they see it and they believe that God will heal them through it. And the miraculously, God heals them and gives them a new life. If God hadn't intervened, their only hope was what? Death. But through seeing and believing, they have been what? Born again. I've been given another shot at life. I've been born again. And this is what Jesus is talking about. Nicodemus, you want to enter the kingdom of heaven, you need radical heart change. You need to be born again. I'm not talking about the physical birth. I'm talking about a spiritual rebirth. 
It's like a birth of water where I cleanse you of all unrighteousness. It's a birth that is generated by my spirit. I put my spirit within you. And he brings faith alive, unveils truth to you. You see it, you behold it, you believe it. And your heart is completely and forever transformed. Now, keep in mind, for most of the audience of Jesus' time, they're expecting the Messiah to come to bring, to usher in God's kingdom and that it would be a political reign. They believed this. They were looking forward to this. This valiant leader to unite us and stand against the Romans and to earn our freedom and to set God's people free. And here in this simple story, we see the truth of God's kingdom. It will not be a kingdom built on wealth or power or commerce or trade or civil rights or equality or popularity or tradition, the power of one man or woman or the power of the people. It will not be built on innovation or technology or morality or ethics or cruelty or corruption. It will be built on one thing, faith. So this is what Nicodemus was lacking. You got all the knowledge, now you need to believe it. The kingdom of God will be a kingdom built on seeing the glory of Jesus and believing that he is the son of God. So Jesus' message to Nicodemus was really quite simple. You wanna enter into the kingdom of heaven, you need to be born again. How do I do that? By, by seeing the son of God, believing in him. Listen, that's God's message to you today. So please, please listen to me. Like, you don't owe me anything, you don't owe me your attention right now, but I'm asking for it. If you're here today and you're not a Christian, okay, maybe you walked in today knowing that. There's still questions you need answers to. You're like, I'm just, I'm just not there yet. Or maybe you walked in here today and you realize, you know what? I thought I was a Christian, but I'm not. Like I got church clothes. I got the church lingo down. I've got really good church attendance. I'm a member of a community group. And maybe today you realize I have not been born again. Whether you're six or you're 60 or anything beyond that or between that. Listen, I want you to hear today, you can be born again. It's not some radical concept out of the 60s for the super elite spiritual. Listen, you need a new heart. And the only way that happens is by being born again spiritually. And to be born again, you simply look upon Jesus and believe. So maybe for you, for the first time, that you, you're like, oh, okay. Are all your questions answered? No. Did Jesus answer all Nicodemus' questions? No. Why? Because you, you can't understand it. You, you won't be able to comprehend all that. That's not going to lead you to salvation. Jesus says, simply believe in me. And so if that's you, I'm going to pray you'd make that decision today and and then the second part of this church, listen, if you're here today and you're a Christian, you're not off the hook. Today, you and I have been refreshed in our ultimate purpose on this earth. You know what your purpose is on this earth? In your home and in your job and in your school and in your neighborhood, here's your purpose, lift up Christ. That is why you exist. Lift up Christ. In your home, lift up Christ so your family can see him. Lift up Christ so your, your coworkers can see him, your neighbors can see him. 
Listen, I hope that if you're a Christian, you have friends that are not believers. I hope that you're intentionally building relationship with, relationships with people who don't know Christ so that you can lift up Christ. Amen. You can exalt Christ and that by seeing, they might believe and be saved. So I don't know what you do for a living, but this is actually more important than that. I don't know if you're a parent or you're married or not, but this is more important than that. Your primary purpose, Christ followers, is to lift up Christ. So let's pray to that end. I'm gonna invite our worship team up. If you're here today and you're not a Christian, I'm gonna ask that you would grab one of our prayer partners and let them pray with you. Let's prepare to respond as our worship team comes up. Our prayer partners are coming forward. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this powerful message from John chapter three. Uh, God, today we just recognize how like Nicodemus we are. And by that, what I mean is, God, we, we come to you with, with our understanding, with our solutions, with our comprehension. And like Nicodemus, we so often completely miss it. So, Father, first of all, thank you for meeting Nicodemus where he was and in the same way you meet us where we are. And so, God, I pray now as we, God, have heard your word and we encounter your spirit, God, may we truly respond in faith. God, any person here who doesn't know you, I pray, God, that your Holy Spirit would give the gift of sight this morning, the gift of faith, see and believe. God, for those of us who are just like the Israelites repeating the same cycle of sin, the same cycle of disbelief and rebellion, I pray to God you would awaken something within us. That God, our desire, our strongest desire when we leave here today would simply be to lift Christ up, to exalt Christ, that others might see him and believe. And Father, we ask for your Holy Spirit now to move through this place. Just like the wind blows, I pray that your Holy Spirit would blow through this room and through our hearts. God, you would do a miraculous work in us today. We pray in the powerful name of Jesus.